Well, good afternoon. This is the session on developing speaking skills across the curriculum. I have public speaking skills. This is not a class on public speaking per se. It's really a class on developing speaking skills and listening skills across the curriculum. The major fault here is that our students should not only be able to read and write, but they should also be able to speak about what they have learned. If I asked you to tell me something about clouds, there's this concept of cultural literacy. You don't necessarily have to be able to explain all about clouds, but if you've, if you've studied meteorology, you should be able to say, well, there are different layers of clouds. Some are low, mid, high level. Some are puffy, some are made of ice particles, some are made of water particles. If I ask you to tell me something about uh, the grammar of sentences, you should be able to say, well, there are several kinds of words. Some are called nouns, and some are called verbs. Every sentence has to have at least one of each. If I ask you to tell me something about insects, well, insects, they have several body parts. Most of them have three body parts, and they have six legs, hard exoskeletons. If a student has just studied something, just read about something, and you ask him to tell you something about what he or she has read, and the student is speechless, speechless, has nothing to say, has the student in fact learned something? If a student can take a test, can you imagine a student who could take a test and get an A, maybe even an A plus, on a test on insects. And after you collect the test, you ask the student, now, could you tell me something about insects? And the student would be speechless. Who can imagine something, somebody like that? All right, I'm glad you can't, you can't. There are some people who, if you ask them to tell you about insects, they would draw a blank. They would say, you mean I'm supposed to be able to talk about this? I understood education to be that you read things and then you write things in notebooks and then you take tests and then you pass them in and then you get grades and then you get another batch of things to read and write some more things. But nobody ever asks me any, to say anything about what I've read. I really can't say anything. And if we develop students who can, on paper, get A's, and if we ask them to talk about what they've read, are clueless. What have we done? In First Kings, now, I know we aren't raising Solomon's for the most part, but nevertheless, I'll read a passage here from First Kings 4. It says that Solomon was wiser than all other men. He also spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. He spoke of trees, from the cedar that is in Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the wall. He spoke also of beasts and of birds and of reptiles and of fish. And people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon and from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. Solomon had something to say. And so our overall question here is, what do your students have to say about what they have 
read. I've, uh, I invite teachers who teach in a, what's called an individualized program where your students sit there and work through paces in the morning. How about if at recess time, let's say 10 o'clock, you cut class five minutes early and at five, obviously, already now close your books, turn around, face the center. And then you have the point to someone and say, John, how about if you tell us something about what you've been reading about in the last hour? Now, don't ask him, what did you learn? That's a very high-order question. Uh, most people can't answer that kind of question, even after a teacher's week. But he should, if you simply ask, what did you read about? If, in fact, he's been sitting there for the last hour reading about the, let's assume he's studying American history, and he's reading about the Dust Bowl of the Great Depression. And you ask him or her to tell something about what you read. Can you imagine a student being clueless, having nothing to say? Well, I can. Because unless you train your students to be able to speak about what they've read about, most of them won't be able to. And when you're out of school, very rarely, if ever, does anybody ever give you a piece of paper with questions on about the Dust Bowl or the Depression or the uh, Civil War or the uh, exploration of the West or the Lewis and Clark Expedition with matching questions and true false questions for them to answer. It just doesn't happen. Now, there is such a thing as what's called cultural literacy. You don't need to know a lot, but you should be able to say something about such things. So looking at your outline here, what are we purposing here? What are we talking about? Well, the purpose of having children speak is to, and let me just say that this is something that probably is not in your curriculum. There are many things that don't come as part of a package curriculum. Yes, it may well give you some time to have book reports, and that is one small element of this. But I'm thinking more of the frequent, small, daily, or several times daily opportunities for students to, to speak in various ways. And so as a teacher, this is something that you, you just have to know, just like you need to know when to explain something, when to write something on the chalkboard, when to go back to the student's desk and help the student with something, when to ask Susie to help Jane with that math problem. So you also need to know when to pull this tool out of your toolbox and have students speak. And so there's a balance. To balance the quiet, written, private study with spoken group public sharing, it was before my time, but I understand that there were days when students read and then the teacher called them front and they recited. That's what they called it. Everyone sat and they might have they might have read aloud, they might have chanted aloud, but then the teacher called them up and they stood there and they were supposed to know the answers or know things and they were, te they were supposed to be able to say this. And we have almost shifted completely to a silent read, write, read, write, read, write, with very little speaking. 
And so I'm not suggesting at all that we go back to that model, but keep this in balance. There's the story of the person who returned from Europe after spending several years in university and stepped off the ship, came down the gangplank, and the stevedore was carrying this person's trunk or wheeling it, I guess, on the dolly. And somehow he slipped and the trunk fell into the harbor. And the returning student said, oh, no, there goes all my education. Now, sometimes it almost seems that children go home from school at the end of the year and pack away their education in the attic with last year's, you know, they put sixth, year, sixth grade education in the attic on top, in the box on top of fifth grade education. All those nice papers and composition books. And that's okay if they do that. But what do they have that they can say? Another purpose here is to look at one subject as one or maybe a few students talk about it. Just as there is a speaking component, there's also a listening component. And I'm wondering how much do our students have opportunity to listen and to learn by ear? We've gone so far towards the reading that it's almost assumed that if somebody opens the Bible and says, we're going to read from Luke 4, we assume everybody else needs to also turn there and follow in your Bible as I read. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but what I'm saying is that if you go to that extreme, you can actually lose the ability and never practice hearing the words of the Lord. And there's something about hearing something read, hearing a report given, having it come in by the ear only while the eyes are not roaming around on the page, that is valuable to learn. And while speaking skills are important, so are listening skills. Both the development of the oral, that is the output skill from the mouth, and the oral, the input skill through the ears, are things that must be practiced by the doing. And so you can think about that as you think about planning this year. When, when do your children, when must they learn by ear only? Without opportunity to follow in the book. I'm not suggesting that you switch to that, but I'm saying think about developing those skills. I guess it's Francis Bacon, Bacon who said that uh, something like this, reading makes a full mind and writing makes an exact mind, but conversation makes a ready mind. When you are speaking, it requires an alertness, an agility, an adeptness to be able to speak in the moment, whether it's discussion or whether it's uh, reporting on something. They say, this is one of those they say things, they say that it's either the first or the second, one of the worst fears that people have in general, it ranks right up there with the fear of death, is the fear of public speaking the fear of speaking while other people are listening. And it's really curious how students can sit at the lunch table 
and talk loud enough to be heard across the room with the whole class hearing. Some people even laugh at what they say sometimes. But as soon as you have that same group in a class setting, and this person is too, maybe even from her seat, say something, all of a sudden there's a tightening up, a clamming up. And so there is a skill to develop. It's, all, it's amazing how often throughout life there is this need to share publicly, whether it's in giving a testimony with a group or in church or speaking up in a Bible study or Sunday school, devotional times, sharing reports and so on. There are many, many opportunities in life for this. There are several times during the school day that there's opportunity to give these, uh, this kind of sharing. One is answering specific questions. And this is, as you ask questions following, let's say we read a selection for uh, a literature text or history for today or science, a common way to begin the class is to simply lay out do we know the material? Have we, have we read the material for today? To get some feel for whether you've in fact read this, and so whether we, I often call it, do you have your uh, Lincoln Logs or do you have your Legos? Uh, if you're going to put together a puzzle, the first thing you need is the puzzle. And a puzzle in a box is qualitatively different from a puzzle that's put together. When children are going to play, they dump out the Lincoln Logs, dump out the Legos, and they proceed to assemble them. And so many times, in order to develop understanding, whether it's a lesson in science on, on how honeys, uh, bees make honey, or whether it's in history, a lesson on uh, the Oregon Trail and people moving to the west in Oregon, one of the first things you wonder is, do we in fact have the pieces to work with here? And so you ask a few questions. Uh, what did you read about? To find out whether they in fact know what they've read. If they don't know that, you can't proceed to discuss anything. But then asking questions and having the students answer with articulate sentences and to sometimes throw out a question for discussion. So if you were going west, what, what would you take with you? What would you leave behind? And how would you go make, about making those decisions? And having a discussion on a subject like that. Another opportunity is to have students explain something to the group, perhaps sending a child to the board to explain something. As a teacher, you're teaching a variety of things at the same time. Not only are you ex teaching students how to do the math, but you can hatch two birds with one egg by sending a student to the board and having the student, the one that you know can do that, maybe having a student work through the problem while maybe you explain, or having two students go up, one says what to do, the other one does the writing. Think of opportunities to have them in non-threatening ways, but significant ways, explain, answer, speak 
Obviously, giving reports, yes, giving reports. A common report mode is to get some information, copy some information from the encyclopedia, and then proceed to read that back in a monotone. And the student is bored with the, giving the report, and the students listening are bored and having to listen to it. How? does report giving become a life giving? Well, that's the question you have to answer with the group you have and the, and the materials that you have. But there, is, there are ways for them to, one common way that can work in giving a report is to, particularly if you're studying something and want extra information that the text doesn't have. So you are, are uh, studying WASPs paper wasps and so on. And so you you have a student find some information beyond what the text has on, on a particular kind of wasp, say the paper wasp, if you have not studied that one. And have them read in a reference book about that and have them be prepared to give uh, just a few minutes, maybe even two minutes, report tomorrow in class. And allow them perhaps 10 words of notes. That is an index card with no more than 10 words. No sentences, just 10 words written on the card. Words with terms or things to remind them what they want to be sure to talk about. And so that card gives them, gives them a bit of uh, security. And the words, a bit of a list of what they want to talk about. But if they've read the article and know it, they should be able to stand up and Tell, maybe not even stand up, even from the seat, and tell you about paper wasps. There are opportunities like that to enhance what the textbook has a bit by having just one student do something for tomorrow. Another time you have another student do it. Another time you have another student do it. And guess what? You don't have to grade them every time either. You don't grade. Every time a person goes to the chalkboard and does a math practice problem, I don't think you record those and grade them all. And uh, every time a person answers a question, you don't grade them and keep records so you have one correct answer and one incorrect answer. This is part of, of learning. And so giving a mini report is a way of learning together as a class, sharing together. Reading aloud or reciting, train your students, train them to not use what I often call the schoolboy or schoolgirl voice. The report that I'm giving is on the Lewis and Clark expedition. Now, Lewis and Clark left in... Nobody talks that way. They don't talk that way any other time. Why would you talk in that tone when you're giving a report? When you're speaking to people, you talk in a conversational tone. I read about Lewis and Clark. They left from St. Louis in 1862, I don't know the dates, I didn't pick it up on that. Give them, you can model for them. It's fun as a teacher to model different qualities that you either do or don't want and show them how not to give a report and show them how to give a report, how to speak or not. Reading aloud or reciting. And then... Discussions, entering discussions and offering. Let's consider some setting. Uh, any questions at this point? Comments?
Do you have anything to say? Does anybody have anything to say? You are all thinking something. Yes. What grade level? Third through fifth. It's interesting that show and tell usually fizzles out at in the upper grades. And now you can you can reinvent show and tell for older students. In fact, I think I have that on my list. But to demonstrate something, and with an older child, you may want him to bring in. Uh, something that they know how to use. Maybe this person knows how to uh, carve wood or maybe somebody is, uh, uh, knows how to uh, do, uh, do embroider or, or something like that. And they can, and to, to have a craft that you're working on and to explain to a group and to stand in such a way that they can see what you're working on and to explain some of the steps in this, some of the things to watch out for, that's an important skill. In that case, you don't have to, quote, learn anything. Because if you know how to embroider, you know how to embroider. But the task is to, to bring this in and put yourself in someone else's shoes who doesn't know how to do this and explain the big picture, what we're trying to accomplish, what we need in order to do it, and demonstrate a few steps, talk about it while you do it. And so you might not have daily or even weekly show and tell, but there can well be, this ought to be part of your language arts curriculum that somewhere in the, in the year they actually, uh, sometimes you give a demonstration or how-to speeches in public speaking, but uh, you don't have to tell them this is a speech, just a show and tell. Let's look at some settings. So... Morning devotions is a natural. There are commonly readings. Who does the readings? Well, you can take turns. I, when I went to school, I went to public school in Pennsylvania, Lancaster County, and at that time we had Bible reading in the classroom. Now in elementary school the teacher did it, but when we got to grade seven, the homeroom teacher wasn't going to do the reading. We went up and down the row, and it was your turn. When I was in seventh grade, I went up in front of the room, and when it was my turn in the morning, and you read either ten verses or you read a chapter, whichever whichever was uh, whichever happened first. Uh, Psalm one seventeen was read very frequently that year, <laughs> and then we led in the Lord's Prayer. That was a good experience standing in front of the room doing that. Now since we're not bound by laws. You can do that in your classroom. So reading, and by the way, reading scripture, scripture ought to be read well. As I heard someone say some years ago, he demonstrated this way. He said, he said first, do you believe this? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And he said, do you believe that? He said, 
I don't. This is what I believe. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness covered the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. Now, the point being, there are many ways to to read with expression, but you can tell whether the person is actually reading the text and giving it to you, handing it to you, or whether the person is simply mumbling over the words or acting as a machine to vocalize the words. And so you can have, students can read. They can read from devotional books. They can read inspirational stories. They can read poems. Read them with expression. They can be assigned to, to, you can give them one to read or they can find one to read. And there are various stories that make good devotional readings. Hymn history books are readily available. And of course, recitations. And when you recite, practice reciting as though you mean it, not mumbling, especially scripture memory. And also with poetry, you can train children at a very young age to not recite again in a schoolboy, schoolgirl voice. I think that I shall never see a poem lovely as a tree, a tree that may in summer wear a nest of robins in her hair. That's not the way you read the poem. And you demonstrate to them, I think that I shall never see a poem lovely as a tree. And they can, they can practice reading, uh, reciting with expression. And think of opportunities. As you have a given class, if you're thinking of tomorrow's class, think of what will happen orally in that class. How much of the time will students be speaking as compared to how much time I am speaking? Now, this particular session here, I'm being recorded, so I'm kind of violating that. <clears throat> but think of opportunities for them to, to enter discussions or to do uh, readings or uh, current events discussing issues today and uh, developing reasonable opinions. Provide opportunities <clears throat> to students, for students to share orally with the teacher. We had a teacher some years ago, a, a science teacher, who, and this is in junior high, and he did all of his tests orally with the students. And when it was test day, why, the students worked on projects, and he called them up to his desk one at a time, and he had a list of questions, and he tested them orally. And that person was finished, and he went and continued the project. The next one came up. Now, I've never done that, but I submit this to you. I've also done this very rarely. So this is an idea, but since I haven't done it much, why, you can, you know how that works. Somebody can suggest something. But anyway, it's a good idea, I think. And that is, so, you give your students the test. You give them the history test. And it has whatever it has, 40 questions. 
and or maybe you know you have 38 questions and then 49 and 50 come to teacher's desk so when you're finished you come up and you ask them the last two questions orally they have an answer on their feet how many of you would not look forward to that let me see your hands if you were the student you would not look forward to going up to the teacher's desk and when you lay your paper down the teacher asks you why not why wouldn't you look forward to that Any other comments? Who thinks that would be a good idea for students to learn it? Anybody? Okay. Who wishes maybe it had been done with you sometimes? Anybody? Okay. Well, try it. Hey, you don't have to commit to the whole year, but they could at least answer one question. Number 50, I'll give you when you bring the paper up. Then you ask them one question. And uh, not a trick question, not a, not a hard question, just question, but maybe a question that, that takes a sentence answer, not just a, a word. And then provide opportunity for students to uh, speak with another student. Students can often help another student understand something as well or better than you can. Sometimes it's a math concept that they just learned, they're just working on. And sometimes Jane knows just where Jill is in her understanding, and she's able to help her right at that point. Sometimes, of course, teachers are supposed to figure that out too, but sometimes teachers give the whole thing, explain the whole thing to them again. But having students help other students occasionally or practice something together, and then sharing with the, the class, reviewing a lesson, demonstrating on the board, or the room, or the whole school. Uh, last year in our school, uh, this wasn't my idea, but uh, I think it was a good one. I wasn't there every Friday. But each room took a turn on the Friday morning uh, assembly. When the school got together, they sang every Friday morning for 15 minutes or so together for Friday morning devotions. But then the room, the three classrooms, each room took its turn to share something with the school. And so it might have been some Bible memory. It might have been something that they learned in a class. But they had something. Now, of course, the teacher had to think of what it would be that they would, would share. But it might have been a group. It might have been an individual or somebody sharing with the school. And this does make it a little bit more of a, of a deal if the thing that you have to share is in some way shared with the whole school. Or visitors, if visitors come in. Or, of course, in the school program. In our school programs at the end of the year, a major uh, approach we take in a school program is to share with the families things that, things out of various classes through the year. And it varies from year to year, but they're likely to hear something that they learned out of history class, something out of science class, whether it's a demonstration, a recitation. It's a broad variety of, of things. Well, how and what do we, do we report on or discuss? First of all, as a teacher, 
model examples. Let students know what the standard is, what you're looking for, what your expectations are. You can actually give them a model of, uh, if it's a book report, you can give them a model a D, a model C, a model B, and a model A. And say this is, this is what we're looking for. As a teacher, do you ever recite anything to your students? When's the last time they heard you recite a poem or a Bible passage? Or tell them something about a recent book that you've been reading on your own or a newspaper article that you read or something you heard in the news that you found interesting. Do they know that you find life interesting or a conversation you overheard or something you did, a place you went? Do you take little opportunities to give little windows into your life or little speeches about things? Do they hear you? Do you ever read anything that you wrote? You don't need to do all the assignments that your students do, but if they write, you ought to do some writing, sometimes at least, and you can read some samples of what you have written. There are recordings of Bible readings. There are recordings of uh, done very well by excellent storytellers let them hear a sample of what professional storytelling sounds like. That doesn't mean you hold them to that standard, but you have an ideal high. Have them listen to some scripture reading by someone with excellent articulation and delivery. Let's go to the back side. This is uh, a baker's two dozen ideas. Students find something outside to add to the information being studied. And so as you are studying a particular subject, why think of assigning a student to find out a bit of extra information on something to add to it in class tomorrow. They can look it up in the encyclopedia or find some information somewhere. Uh, part D here is what I was alluding to earlier. Sometimes it's called narrating. If you narrate something, you you simply repeat, tell about that which you have learned. Now, a story, you can summarize a story if you compress it and summarize it, but to narrate, simply tell about what you have learned. And so if a person has just read a, a lesson, let's say, on, uh, on Newton's uh, three laws, he or she should be able to say something like, well, Newton described three laws of motion. And one of them says that something that's at rest will always stay at rest unless something acts on it, or if it's moving, it won't stop unless something acts on it. Another one says that if something does, in fact, change its direction or motion, then there must have been a force that acted on it. And the other one says that any time there's an action, there's a reaction in the opposite direction. So in their own words, they should be able to briefly, briefly describe something they have read. And sharing from excerpts, first-hand experiences. Some people are able to describe an experience they've had so well that another person who's been there with them 
actually enjoys it almost more hearing it described than they enjoy it being there themselves. Do you know what I'm talking about? You can have two people who maybe they both were there when the siren went off and you had the tornado warning. And the two people had that experience together. But then in describing it the next day, person B describes in such a way that person A finds himself smiling and chuckling and he didn't really have the same experience, really, as the person, the other person had. He didn't notice some things the other person noticed. But if you've actually been somewhere, done something, something happened to you, you should be able to describe it. And so take those opportunities to call for students to describe things they've actually experienced. When students do a project, they make a poster, they illustrate a story, they read a book, and instead of giving an oral report, they make a, a display. One of the techniques I use for book reports sometimes is to take a sheet of paper, have the student take a sheet of paper, and draw three illustrations representing the story in some way, and then write a caption under each picture telling what it's about. And then also write ten words on the front of the page, just sprinkle them over the front of the page, that somehow give you a feel for what happened in that uh, book. And then we hang those in the bulletin board. And you can, they're there on display for a week or so. And you can see some illustrations, get some feel for the book. Now, when they finish them, you can have them as they show these to the group. They can then tell about the book a bit. Yes? How long is a book with a speech? How long a book? Yeah, 10 words if you have a 200-page book. A 200, a whole book, mm -hmm. library book. And then I often have them on the back write a short summary, maybe 100 words. Uh, and typically, typically keep it, keep it brief. But the... The challenge is to find a variety of words that somehow get you into the book. And so there might be some nouns and some verbs and adjectives and well-chosen well words. It's just an approach to use now. But then have them present that to the group. If they're going to make a poster to hang on the wall, to be able to, in a sense, present this to the class and talk about the experiment they did or the, or the project they did. Interpret it to the class. Of course, a big opportunity is to read your own writing to the class and read it with, with feel. You can try reading interpretively and you can have them do that in a variety of ways. That is, they can read uh, maybe from two different... Uh, perspectives. I'll stop here a moment. Any comments, questions, something you've done or are going to do, plan to do? Think of opportunities to have students present something together. They get their heads together in presenting a report Retelling a story is different from summarizing. When you summarize, you take the story and you, you select significant parts 
throughout the story, including some details, but you don't get bogged down. If you retell it, you basically retell the whole story. And students ought to know the difference between the two and be able to do either. And then item O here, have a student present something orally while the rest listen and don't allow them to take any notes. So if this student's going to give a little report, why have them give that report, have them give that explanation, and do well on that. The people listen and remember what was said. And then when you're finished, they have a quiz. Now the person who, this is actually another teaching tool that's not really speaking orally, but it's a challenge for students to make a quiz for their own presentation. It's a learning experience for them. And uh, it's a nice little tool to use sometimes to, instead of you making up all the quizzes, you have students take turns making a quiz for tomorrow's lesson. Everybody takes the quiz and uh, you find them, you find them uh, having some issues with, with the quiz that was made because they, well, that question was too picky or that question was confusing or whatever. And they learn it takes almost, it takes more skill to write a good question than it does to, to answer a question. But then have them present it orally and have the group just listen and then take the quiz on it. And so, for the timid, what can you do? Well, you can have, don't put them up first, don't put them up last if you have a group. If you put them up first, it frees up. If they're last, by the time it's over, they get nervous to match up to all these people. <coughs> Sandwich them in between at a comfortable place. And you record somehow, last year, actually two years ago, I had my ninth and 10th grade do a, a biography reading. They picked a biographical character about whom they could find at least two books on the same person. And then they read both those books to get two perspectives because no two people write about the same person in the same way. And then they, they presented a 20-minute oral presentation on this person and they recorded it. Now, I dug out an ancient piece of machinery. Actually, we have a couple of these ancient pieces of machinery at our school called cassette recorders. And it's interesting, these ninth and 10th graders, they had, for the most part, never used one. Uh, <laughs> most of them had seen one, but they had to be shown that you open it up and you slide this little cassette in and then close the lid and then you push this button that says record and then you can record and then when you play it back, you can listen to yourself. Most of them had never played with recorder and heard themselves recorded. And uh, we're almost in a little, a little bit of a black hole right now between the easy use of cassette recorders and then a voice recorder. A lot of people are really not using something. But anyway, so they were to produce this 20-minute tape. And they were to listen to them 
themselves, and this might take several recordings until they were satisfied. And I encourage them to be creative here. Tell it in the first person, as though you're, as though you are in fact George Washington Carver, telling about your life, or have some dialogue where you change your voice, or maybe you can invite somebody else to be involved a little bit. And uh, they did it, and it was fun. And we, in class, then we all sat there and we turned out and we listened to each presentation. And so you are sitting there listening to yourself give us this. It's something different than standing up front. And so there's both the secure feeling of knowing it's done, but also the funny feeling of hearing yourself talk to the group. So I try that. If you can rouse out some of those antiques uh, that, that still work, or if you have uh, uh, voice recording equipment, have your students record themselves, because that way they... They record themselves, listen to it, critique it, say harsh, and don't like that. So then they do it again and do it again because uh, way, the way it sounds on there is what the group's going to hear. And finally, when it's satisfactory, why they submit it and we listen to it. And so that's a way, another way of doing something orally. Have your children take the opportunity to go to another room. Your first and second grade teacher will be delighted to have seventh and eighth graders come for story time by turns and read aloud to the to her room. Or tell them your high schoolers can go to a lower grade room and tell the children a story. Just simply, uh, other than reading aloud, just simply sit there and tell them a story. And so there are those opportunities within the school. And if they're speaking to the younger children, it's not to their peers. And it's a little bit more of a natural situation where they know they're not doing this just as an exercise, but they're actually telling a story that the younger ones have not heard before, at least from, from them. Oral book reports. How many of you have your children do oral book reports? All right. Do they? How many of your students enjoy them? Don't be afraid to raise your hand. Okay, some might. How do you? How do they do them? How do you have them do them? Um, there's a the light you just outlined. Mm -hmm. What questions they need to answer? All right. So then they practice reading it to me or to a friend. Okay. And they get in the class and read it. All right. Good. Mm -hmm. So they do a practice run first, and then they do. Good. Somebody else. How do you do all? How do they do our reports? I, instead of a written book review, mm -hmm. they do an oral, and that's why some of them like it because mm -hmm. it doesn't take as long to prepare mm -hmm. as the written. Mm -hmm. uh, and they may have an outline. Mm -hmm. Good. Other ideas? How do so I saw another hand here somewhere. Somebody that enjoys them. Was it you? Yes. Some of them, some of them enjoy it and others would rather write. Mm -hmm. It all depends on personality. Mm -hmm. And also I think some of those too mean the little ones. Mm -hmm. I have younger ones who um, some of them really, really enjoy reading and so this is fun. Mm -hmm. And other people 
I've heard students already before school in the morning, before that bell rings in the morning, I've heard a student already talking to another student about a book he or she was reading. And it was a wonderful book talk. And they were telling about what was happening in the book and how interesting it was and what was going on. And I think, now, if that energy and that synergy could happen in front of the class, why, why does it have to be different when you do it with the class? So you want to think in ways, and one of the ways to do is to model that. I talked about, uh, I have an outline here. When I have students give an oral book report, typically this is the outline that they use. They, they start in, and I tell them to never begin by saying, I gave my report on. <laughs> they state the title of an author and so forth. So let me first give you a model of a, a poor book report. Sometimes it can be fun as a teacher to do this, and the students can get a little chuckle out of it too, and you model what they should not do. This is A Bronze Bow by Elizabeth George Spear. It's a book about Daniel. There's main character, his name is Daniel. And this Daniel is trying to be ready when the Messiah comes. He wants to, he kind of joins this gang uh, run by a man named Rosh. And he goes up in the mountain with Rosh and spends a lot of time with him there. And they do a lot of neat things, you know, a lot of cool things there. And uh, one time they capture this really, really strong man. His name is Samson. They capture him. And uh, another time, one of Daniel's friends, Joel, gets caught and by the Romans. And uh, they're going to take him away and make him a galley slave. And so Daniel feels really, really responsible. So he, he gets his friends and they, they somehow go along a mountain trail somewhere. And, and when these uh, Roman soldiers come along, well, they, they manage to jump out. Uh, but, well, they wouldn't have been able to do it except that Samson was there. And uh, so they got this jewel free, but then Samson was killed, and so was one of Daniel's friends. So, so Daniel felt really bad about that. And then there's something I want to read here. This is a place where Daniel and uh, his friend Leah were talking about no, Thasia was her name. Daniel and Thasia were talking about Thasia's sister, Leah, who was really, really sick. And uh, they were wondering if Jesus could heal her. And so I really like this part where where Daniel's talking. He says, sometimes I wonder. It's the same as a lame man. It's not much of a world, is it? Is it worth trying to bring Leah back into it? Thesia stood still on the road. Yes, she cried, and Daniel was astounded to see that tears had sprung into her eyes. Oh, Daniel, yes. If only I could make you see somehow that it is. All this, she exclaimed with a sweep of her arm, including the deepening blue of the sky, the shining lake in the distance, the snow-covered mountain far to the north. So much. You must look at it all, Daniel, not just at the unhappy things. And so it, that raised the question of would it really be worth it to bring a sick person back into such an ugly world? And, and Leah said, or Thesis said, yeah, it, 
it, it really would. And then at the end, why Jesus actually did come and he healed Leah and he also helped Daniel to, to not hate the Romans so much. And uh, so I kind of liked the way it was a, a young character. He was 18 about my, <laughs> my age. And uh, it showed some different people's ideas about the Messiah. All right, tell me what my score is. What do I get? No, uh, tell me what, uh, tell me how I could improve. Do that. That's what be safer. Prepare. Pardon? Prepare better. Oh, okay, prepare. <laughs> what else? Focus. On, <laughs> on you? All right. What else? Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, speak so you could be understood. What else? Yes. Don't laugh when you talk. <laughs> Anything else? Yes. Know where the places you're going to read from marked. All right. Yes. So you can, you can model a report for your class and you can say this maybe would be a, a D report and this would be a, a B. And it can be fun to to model that. You can and you can have them critique you and then it's secure for them to, to do that, especially if they know that there's supposed to be something wrong and see if they can find it. And and then you can also model one that you enjoy more. I won't attempt a grade on this one, but what you want to get across is that when you've read a book, you really want to share this book with your, with your friends. And so don't think in terms of it being a report that I have this, this bound structure I need to follow now. An outline is helpful so that you do a variety of things. You don't just want to retell the book. Two major problems in book reports. One is... The student has to give you the whole book. And if you let them go, they'll go for an hour in the book. And everybody gets tired of it. And then the other one is where they're so short and brief or what they share is not really interesting to either them or the group. They don't enjoy it and neither does the class. And everybody has to sit through this experience, this book report time. So somehow they ought to get this story into them and be able to share it with the group. This is called Opal, the Journal of an Understanding Heart. Who's read Opal? You have a book waiting for you. Opal was a precocious child. She was born to parents who died before she was five years old. But she had some memories of her mother, and she was an orphan who was kept as a foster child by a logging family in Oregon. Before she was 12, they moved about 14 times. She kept a journal, and the journal she kept, most of it was written at the age of five 
and six years old. So what I'm going to read to you was written by a girl who was either five or six years old at the time she wrote it. A foster sister of hers found her journal one time and ripped it into pieces, little, little slips. She gathered these up and kept them in a box. When she was 20 years old, someone recognized her writing ability and wondered if she had written anything before. <clears throat> so she spent nine months with these pieces of paper and the tweezers, assembling them and transcribing them. And the book has been published as the Journal of an Understanding Heart. The book is best self-interpreted. I'll read a few selections for you. Notice the language. Notice what a five- and six-year-old does with tremendous insight but limited grammatical skills. My mother and father are gone. The man did say they went to heaven and do live with God, but it is lonesome without them. The mama where I live says I am a new sense. I think it is something grown-ups don't like to have around. I like this house we do live in, being at the edge of the near woods. So many people live in the woods. I do have conversations with them. I found the near woods first day I did go explorers. All the way from the other logging camp in the beautiful mountains, we came in a wagon. Two horses were in front of us. They walked in front of us all the way back of the house are some nice wood rats. The most lovely of them all is Thomas, Thomas Chatterton Jupiter Zeus. He has been waiting in my sunbonnet long waits while I make prints. He wants to go explorers. The dog, brave Horatius, has longings in his eyes. He wants to go. In the pig pen, I hear Peter Paul Rubens squealing. We will all go explorers. One day, one way, the road does go to the house of Sadie McKibben. It doesn't stop when it gets to her house, but mostly I do. The freckles on her wrinkled face are like the Milky Way. She is awful old, going on 40. There are cookies in her cookie jar. Sometimes I read books that Angel Mother and Angel Father did write in. They tell me all about the great men. Now I know what to name my favorite mouse. He is Felix Mendelssohn. In the morning of today, partway to school, I met a glad surprise. There was my dear pig waiting for me. I gave him three joy pats on the nose and did call him by name ten times. I was so glad to see Peter Paul Rubens. William Shakespeare is having a rest day. He is not working in the woods with the other horses. Tiredness was upon him. I gave his nose rubs and his neck and ears too, and I did tell him poems and sing him songs. After I did sing more, sleep come upon him. 
While he was going to sleep, the breaths he did breathe were such long breaths. And I gave him more pats on the nose. I'll come at supper time so he may go in the barn with the other horses. I did. Sleeps was still upon him. I went to pet his front leg, but it was stiff. I petted him on the nose, but it was cold. I called him, but he did not answer. I now go to tell the man who wears gray neckties and is kind to mice about his long sleep. We are come back. Now I do have understanding. My dear William Shakespeare will no more have wake-ups again. Rob Ryder cannot give him whippings no more. He just had goes because tired fields was upon him. I have covered him over with the leaves. To find enough, I went to the far end of the near woods. I gathered them in my apron. Sometimes I could hardly see my way because I just could not keep from crying. I have such lonesome feels. I have thinks his soul is not far gone away. There are little blue flowers of blooming where he did lay him down to sleep. I need to stop there. If you haven't discovered that book, you need to get the title and author. I think they might have a few at CLR. I'm not sure. It's the Opal, the Journal of an Understanding Heart by Opal Whiteley, W-H-I-T-E-L-Y. And uh, it's a wonderful read to any, anybody, any, any age level. First and second graders can enjoy it and anybody from there up, especially when they know it was written by a girl who was four to five years old. Thank you. You're dismissed. For more free resources that support teaching and learning, visit the docforlearning.org.